0: What's up guys welcome back to another episode of behind the facade I'm your host Gavin J Gallagher and on this podcast I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market the key to success in this game is to master your mindset your behavior to take control of your thoughts your emotions and most importantly your ego so here we are on episode 67 Last week I was covering risk mitigation in uh, property investment and on this week's show I'm going to be speaking with my guest Robert Colloran. Now we're going to go and talk a lot of shop today, a lot of terminology, uh, real estate stuff. Robert has been a real estate agent in the Irish market for over 20 years and has a massive wealth of knowledge. He's been involved in multiple firms, large and small, um, largest firm being CBRE but he also spent a couple of years working for the largest developer in the state at the time and that was Liam Carroll now if ever you wanted to know why risk mitigation in property investment is a critical skill to master then uh, the story of Liam Carroll before and after the 2008 global financial crisis should be all the explanation that you'll ever need it was a terrible to see how somebody who spent years building this incredibly large portfolio could crash and burn and end up like literally with nothing. So Robert has seen it all. He has enjoyed rapid market growth and he has seen massive market falls and he's survived it all to tell the tale. So I've asked him to come on today and we're gonna cover a number of things. He refers to a couple of different sites and stuff which I have listed in the show notes, podcasts and the like. And I would strongly suggest that you stay to the end of the interview because he has some advice on how to improve your property values um, a couple of tips and strategies along with some of the core traits that he saw in his most successful clients. So whether you're from the Irish market or not, I think you'll find this one an interesting uh, podcast to listen in. So without further ado, my conversation with Robert Collarand. (laughs)
1: Yeah. All right, Robert Colleran. how are you? Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, great, Gavin.
2: Yeah, good. Long-time long fan of the show. So,
1: yeah, love it. Well, it's great to have you on. And uh, we're going to get into a lot of different things. We're going to be talking about commercial property, and we're yeah, perfect. development land, and, uh,
0: and lots of different things. But before we kick off all that kind of stuff, as I ask all my guests, can you give us just a little bit of a backstory? Uh, what you know, took you into the property sector?
1: From from you know being a young lad, kind of deciding together.
2: Yeah, no, that's no problem at all. Uh, I suppose I was always interested in it, but I was more, I was a bit like yourself, wanted to be an architect. Uh, always into building, and then it was it was probably that kind of design led arty, and then it was kind of just building. And I, and I suppose my dad probably had a big uh, influence there. Just just kind of growing up, you know, building building a summer house. That was a good project there buying a house off-market in Black Rock in Walton Terrace. Like, he bought that himself off-market. Uh, you know, just kind of interested in property. And then uh, that kind of grew. And um, so, I, you know, the family would have been banking, and then I I was kind of the only ones got involved in property. Friends of mine, uh, you know, two or three friends, their parents were architects, always involved in that side of things. And then, yeah, my dad probably pushed me in, into uh, into you know, into the course when you're weighing up things, I kind of, you know, I weighed it up, went for the course and then, you know, right from day one, I was always kind of working on building sites during the summertime and uh I would have worked for Dwyer and Olin two summers in a row and then Marion Interiors Landscape Garden. So when you're due through college, like the summertime was uh, was great. to get the good side of a building site where you're outdoors most of the time. But yeah, that was basically it. So always been involved uh since, since, since college, I suppose.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting industry, all right. Yeah, a lot of people yeah. ask, you know, kind of what should they do, what should they study, and stuff. And I, I think it's a, avenues into it, isn't there?
2: Yeah, there's a good business. Like I've guys, like friends of mine that are in the banking side, they went into property, and then they kind of ended up in banking, or they could be, you know, they could be, you know, ensure, you know, they could be, I suppose, investment side of things, or it could even be pension funds. So, so there's all different sides to it. I suppose sometimes I go in and I, I, I talk to, the talk to you know, class, uh, like, like I go back and I do a bit of uh, I suppose career guidance for different students in my old school. And I kind of go back in and guys are looking at CAOs, you know, and they're looking at different options. And I say, well, look, generally the, the property degree, you know, it's a good business degree generally. And then it has the boltons so, so you know you're doing economics you're doing law you're doing accountancy
1: it's an all-rounder
2: yeah so it's a good business and then and then in, in addition to that you're doing uh construction uh valuations advanced valuations and then you're doing you know advanced maths so so it's a good business degree anyway and you can decide where you want to take it so you can go into one of the, the bigger houses, one of the agencies, and you can, and then you can decide what you do, you, you know, you know, you can decide whether you want to go in, in the valuation side of it, or do you want to go in the agency side of it. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to get into some of that today, yeah. I mean, you today you own your own firm, you're, uh, you're you've got a commercial agency business and you uh, do land development uh, or development land i should say yeah, yeah. in terms of um, but i wanted to turn back the clock and specifically i want to go back to 2005 when you started working for Daninger. and yeah, that's right yeah yeah liam, the, the the poor old late liam carroll and uh, and to to those listeners who don't know who liam carroll was i mean he was a legend in the irish property sector he built thousands of uh, of apartments in the city center in dublin he was it was an absolute massive business, um, but amazingly, the guy had kind of this no frills attitude. Um, he didn't kind of spend money on cars and all that kind of stuff. Uh, certainly, that was the impression that I got. But you worked for the man. Actually, what it was like to work for Liam Carroll?
2: Yeah, no, it was it was great. He had a good sense of humor, uh, tough but fair. Like I, I, I prior to working for Liam Carroll, I kind of worked independently for him as an agent. So. Right. You know, when I started out, it was probably 99. And then I, I was doing a lot of Liam's kind of commercial st- stock. Uh, we, he started going more into retail, more into office. And then gradually I, I was kind of, I started doing more and more deals from, uh, then I got headhunted, went to CBRE for about four years. I think it was about four years anyway. And then one stage we did, I think it was 27, 28% of the overall office lettings in, in the uh, Irish
1: market. Twenty seven. Yeah, <laughs> one yeah. guy controlling twenty seven percent. Yeah, of the yeah.
2: So like, and then in terms of land banking, um, huge, thousands
1: of acres all over the place. Yeah,
2: like well, I wouldn't say thousands, but uh, we had fifty four acres north 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 docks, uh, twenty two south docks, cherry uh, Cherrywood. So yeah, it, it was a lot of property, but a lot of it would have traded on, like would have sold on. So. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah and and then-
2: would have traded hands,
1: yeah. In terms of, like, the the lessons that you took away from from that stint there, I mean, working for a guy like that, you know, what would you say? Is there anything that stands out as particular, you know, lessons that you... I'd
2: say protect yourself and stick to what you know. Uh, What brought Liam Carroll down uh, uh, was shares.
1: Oh, yeah, he went into...
2: ICG, Green Core, various shares, so he would have spent maybe about a billion... On, on, on shares are i don't know the full th- full amount but he got heavily involved in shares to try and diversify and then a, a lot of the shares would have been properly linked so that that probably brought him down if if he if he didn't touch the the, the shares he probably would would have been fine because him's yeah. model was very uh competitive uh in terms of he was able like he had everything in-house so you would have had to, uh We were a for us to train our tool or Manny Pike or top architects, but then you would have had all your uh, in-house architects, architectural technicians, uh, everybody, like we had 260 staff in the office. We had 600 out in sight with 48 sites on the go. It was a machine.
1: It was a machine. Yeah, for sure. And is it, was there any like behaviors or habits that the guy had that you think contributed to his early success?
2: Uh, I just think it was hard graft work a uh, bit of risk taking uh, but generally speaking it was it was kind of hard graft. and then it was, it was good leadership
1: yeah yeah it's the like speed people speed. followed him mm-hmm.
2: like people would have followed him, but he was he was quite visionary like if you look at placemaking now like uh i know people don't look at it but uh, like i'd say seventeen years ago he was he was getting gal architects involved so you know, even later on, like we were looking at Cherrywood, we hired David Sims, Gell Architects, all about placemaking, all about, you know, what's coming in vogue now, walkways, uh, pinch points that people want to hang out in. Uh, we were trying to do that to Millennium Walkway. Uh, we're trying to add value Bloomfield Shopping Centre. We wanted to um, glaze over it and, and create an inside-outside space. Uh, we were trying to glaze over that. Put windbreakers in, so it was all trying to create areas that people wanted to hang around in. So that was kind of vision. And then yeah. other things that were there was he uh, was always trying to add value to properties already. So when we left the Google block, they were all um, the structure was all there, tied onto it. So originally it would have been two hundred sixty thousand square foot. And then he added an extra thirty thousand square foot later on to the roof plate. So. You Google staff w- w- walking around, wondering what are all these structures on the roof? Like it was like a wedding tier cake, and all the beams were literally there to go to build up again. So, yeah, it was that add value. Uh, okay, in terms of look, earlier apartments, might have been cheap, but if you look at the uh, gasometer, uh, Millennium Tower, Charlotte Quay, um, you know, there's quite a few developments. Resi developments are good, but Depends on the time, Gavin. Like at the time, um, you could buy an apartment in Smithfield for fifty thousand euro on a, a ten-year tax incentive. Uh, you know, he was able to churn and to build uh, at a certain rate. Okay, some of the early apartments is quite a long corridors, but look at the same time, uh, a lot of the offices is sorry, A lot of the apartments hold up today, and then as you go, uh, you know. If people want to pay more, they get a better product. Like if you want to have, you know, State Street Bank as a tenant, you'll have geothermal heating, you'll have eco. It all, yeah. uh, you'll have a, 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 like a, an excellent rating of a building. So, you know, if you want the best, you build the best. Uh, if, if the rents are high, you go for that rent. So if if it's going to be a building of 60 euros a square foot, you, you'll can afford that, yeah. So yeah, we were able to go to Facebook. Like I remember when Facebook were were going out to Dublin at the start, we were able to go over, you know, go into the Ida, meet them directly, uh, say, look, these are all the sites we have. Uh, Give us a wish list of what you want, and uh, we we can provide it. And I suppose that was the thing. It was the case that you could say. Uh, you could actually rentalize the fit out, tie it in with a Euribor rate over five years and spread it out. And yeah. At the time, that was at a time when you had five-year rent reviews. So, you know, your base rent might have been X, but by tying in the fit out at cost price to the to the tenant, uh, you were able to fit out the cost, uh, balance it out over five years, and it proved very attractive for the likes of uh, Google, State Street, Dell, uh, a lot of these big multinationals, but also a lot of the OPW tenants, you were able to give them second tier offices which are Dublin centric, which kind of, you know, it might've been Dublin city centric, but it might've been Dublin one. Um, you know, slightly off pitch, you're not your prime Dublin two or four, but, you know, at the same time, your rents are mid thirties. You can have it all bells and whistles and depending on your fillage, we, we can, uh, can rentalise that. So that would have been a lot of cases there. Interesting. so yeah probably a bit of a visionary uh with bought like key things when you look back at it is uh, buying uh, land banking in around transport hubs so if you look at Cherrywood, you look at you look at Clongriffin, griffin you look at areas where you know where's the next metro line going you know what areas are next but buying into areas that uh underdeveloped like Smithfield, you know like in the 90s you probably wouldn't walk down there at night time
1: yeah, I remember that. Yeah, you know,
2: that kind of Capel Street, Abbey Street area. Um, you know, like there's a million square foot of office space there and you don't even notice it. Uh, yeah. You know, the amount of apartments there, there would have been 10,000 apartments between there and Smithfield. So, yeah, it's it's a, it's a big builder, but, but it probably got, it nearly got too big to manage it. Uh, yeah. You know, and then it was a case that I think you're never too big to fall. You know, and I think maybe... Um, you know, he thought it might have been too big to, to be taken in, and then they invented NAMA, and then he was the first one into NAMA, so...
1: Yeah, but it, I know it's a terrible shame what happened to him, because it had a, a big impact on his health and all that afterwards as well. Yeah. yeah,
2: well, he had an underlying condition had uh, MS, but uh, yeah. I, I had to do an affidavit in court and write in the business plan, I had to write in all the assets, all the land bank, all the properties that we had, and uh, could have traded through it, but I, I, I think you know, ACC would have Jumped ahead and uh, and looked for the full loan back. So so that's what, what kind of broke
1: it. But uh, interesting times, you know. Wow. Yeah, well, a real baptism for you, kind of in and your career path, you know, to to learn. Yeah, it. yeah. And it was
2: uh, look, it was it was great. You know, look, Liam, Liam was good to me over the years, and uh, he's good to a lot of people. There's a lot of people whose businesses stayed alive because of Liam. When he went follow up, he would have uh, he would have paid people. Like, he would have paid firms of architects, some got 100%. Others wow. 17, others got, others got 60
1: Not everyone got that. Mm, no. Yeah, yeah. But no, I, I don't think
2: so. Like, there was, there
1: was, there was I know, been. I know of a number of firms that went well and they, they, they would have repaid directors' loans and things like that before they yeah. paid, yeah, suppliers. So, yeah, very fair. Thanks for going into that, Robert. I, I wanted okay. to. Move forward a little bit to yeah, yeah. You, you had a couple of different stints in different firms, and uh, you mentioned CBRE, which is obviously a major kind of global firm and stuff, but you also yeah. worked in smaller firms as well, uh, Dublin based firms and stuff.
2: Yeah, I started out in there, uh, I started out in Drucker Fanning and Partners, so um, I suppose Drucker's isn't, isn't no, it's, it's not. Uh, it, it's not there anymore, but it would have amalgamated into Bannon. So Irwin Drucker would have been the head advisor to Dunn Stores. So then we would have run all Dunn Stores. Uh, Irwin has a huge portfolio of properties in around Dublin, retail high street. So it would have been a lot of retail and then, you know, office gradually took over. So would have started out doing a, a mix. So it would have been, you know, mainly agency under um, Neil Love, and, um, was the guy that I started with, so I worked there for five years, then got got headhunted to CBRE, and then when it, when you go into a larger firm, you get yeah uh, put into one section. So then I went into the offices department, worked for Willie Dowling for probably four years until I got offered a deal I couldn't refuse. And
1: so, oh, that was with Daninger.
2: And I was going in to work for it. yeah, it was Daninger, uh, Boyce and Dunlow. So were, you know they were the mm-hmm. big companies. So it was it was it was mainly involved in. Uh, the letting of
1: Liam's Land Bank, which was all office and retail. For for people that are listening, that are say younger people, and they're thinking yeah. about you know a career path and stuff. Looking back on your career, would you say you learned more in the big CBRE type firm or in the smaller firms?
2: Uh, no, I recommend to somebody uh, younger, um, you, you can either go in, like the way it's, it's run now, it's different from when I started off. So the way it's done now, you can go into a big firm and what you do is you do six months in valuations, six months in agency, and you could be six months in property management, Whereas when I started, you know, I decided to go into a smaller firm where I get much more experience and there's probably a chance to maybe move up the ladder a bit more. Uh, but generally, it's it's well balanced now. But what would happen is if you go into the likes of the CBRE or Savills, uh, they rotate you. Uh, whereas maybe back when I was there, you know, you know late 90s, they mightn't have done the same. But a smaller firm, you can get you, you'll have broader experience you're you're, you're you're a bit of everything but it stands to you kind of pick up things i think when when, when you go into CBRE or somewhere else later on you kind of you find your your niche and then you can be a like a an office agency expert or a retail
1: expert you niche yeah you niche down
2: yeah like you might have you might you, you like when i was in CBRE, i was office and then it's a situation where Kelly Walsh set up, and the two industrial guys left. So then I, 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 I had plenty of experience doing industrial before. So I went in to help Gart McLean because he was short staffed. But that was just a period until he got going again. But, but, but being able to do that, it all stands to you these days. So generally speaking, of a, of a broad experience of agency, uh, you know, and then I, 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 I kind of would have worked in uh, old sub private treaty. Uh, which is now QRE, so I would have gone into investment. So it would have been, I suppose, if, if you look at it, general agency office, then working for a developer, where you're working with about eleven different agents trying to get properties let, and then saying when when the crash happened, uh, it was a bit like yourself. You're you're uh, you're sitting at your desk, and you had a call into the office. There's two hundred and sixty staff. I think they brought it down to twenty six, and the banks moved in and let go. So I I brokered a deal with Liam uh, before to stay on for five years, but uh, that wasn't part of the plan. But uh, (laughs) the new new
1: owners decided otherwise, yeah.
2: Yeah, I I basically was called in in March, and you normally have a bit of an arm wrestle over a commission, so I I decided to forego my commission and stay on working long term. But nobody knew, this is March 2008, nobody knew the level of recession that happened at the time.
1: Yeah. it was all a big surprise to result. all. Hilarious. It was a big surprise.
2: So, it, it, you know, it kind of swept the legs from under, Liam. So, unfortunately, what I would suggest to people is make sure you, you have structures in place where you, you have a fallback on, you know, whereas, you, you know, you could be $3 billion worth uh, and then to find out that your, 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 your assets are all taken away from you. Okay. Yeah.
1: That's the advice I've been giving a couple of people. That's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you really if you, if you yeah, yeah. own the house of cards and um, yeah. then you back. don't have a cross.
2: Yeah, it yeah, could be a cross guarantee or you could, you, could, you could borrow off it. So, you know, your loan on, a, on, a, on, a, on an extra push would have brought you down. But like prior to that, Liam would have had, I don't know, he would have had a float of 500 million in the bank that he could have bought properties with and then overextended. But it got to that stage where you you probably got too cocky, and you thought that you you could uh you, 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 you could be too big. But at the same time, he never over overpaid for price, uh, for sites. The biggest, I suppose, talent he had was trying to secure off market. Uh, yeah. The amount of people I still meet that uh, say they should have sold him back in the day, uh, and yeah. to regret it. But
1: yeah, like- it's amazing yeah. if, you, if you look at that period of time. I mean, Liam wasn't the only one who got taken the legs taken out from on. Mm. I mean all of the giants of the kind of yeah. fish market were all kind of taken down and that there was there was Bernie McNamara, there was Derek mm. Quinlan, there was Paddy Sheldon. Yeah, so all of those guys that were flying around in helicopters and they were kind of mm. they were living the living at large. They all got taken down by this, you know, overextending themselves effectively mm. and, uh, I actually worked
2: for quite a few of them after that. So when Liam went, I uh, I went to set up a consultancy business the same as I did now. Uh, and at the time, it was uh, it's actually a friend of mine from football uh, was an estate agent, F- Vincent Finnegan, and uh, he, I just put it out in social media that I was I was setting up you know Robert Robert Collar and Property Consultants Limited or whatever. And he said, "Look, come in and have a chat." I always wanted to get into commercial. Uh, you the contacts and um, we'll hit the ground running. So I literally finished, finished up. Uh, I, I, I went working for, a, period for a, 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 a company called Spec Speco or Spectra. They would have done all the uh, the cameras and now they do all the speed cameras. So it uh, would have been Xavier McAuliffe. So I did, I did about two months in there and it was a bit like uh, it's a bit like Shawshank, where the guy is sitting in a, in a warehouse and uh, people are coming in asking for property advice. It was, it was pretty funny at the time. But uh, yeah, I did that. I went into Philly Finnegan's and then straight away had uh, Liam's portfolio, which he had control of. And then I would have worked for, uh, done other work for Landmark Developments. So I would have had all Beacon Court, uh, Treasury Holdings. I would have done uh, Smithfields. Um, Ballymal, Spencer Dock for Treasury, and then I was given uh, Smithfield for it was Paddy uh, uh, Paddy Kelly's Red Quartz. So, so a lot of these developers that got into trouble, I was still dealing with the assets. So it was just trade. It was hard slog, rentals only, and it was just uh, churn. It was kind of going for uh, going for a market below where the bigger agents would go. Uh spent what are you know thirty, forty, sixty thousand. Uh, rent per annum lets and and at one stage we even did shorter term lets where it was uncertain uh, where we could do you know two or three year lets and then you'd review it and then you go again but it started the market
1: and yeah it, that was the thing that you were in that kind of completely uncertain place where the market had crashed down to yeah. Nobody knew what the market rate was, so you just had to do whatever it took to kind of get it going again, isn't that Yeah, right? it, it kind of had the bottom level
2: rents. Okay, rents were down a bit, but it recorrected itself, and then I got headhunted for, for uh, uh, Allsop to go in and set up a private treaty wing. So, yeah, the idea behind it was that, uh, to improve the assets, uh, so it would have brought up assets to, you know, six, eight, nine, 10 million, uh, whereas beforehand, a lot of the Allsop stock would have been lower value. Uh, and it would have gone straight into auction. Whereas I'd go in, assess the asset, uh, find out all the information, uh, and then when I bring it to market, I'd, I'd, I'd outline where the issues are, how to fix them, how to enhance the asset, and then I'd, I'd either get it agreed within a month and a half uh, and sold, or if I don't sell it within that time frame, at least I have all the due diligence done and I have all the... Um, I suppose the information to hand that that we can sell it, so it's, it's kind of teeing it up, so we ran this thing called Private Treaty to auction and um, so I worked there for about two years as director of private treaty um, and then and then there was a case where you know it was a bit frustrating uh because it ran too well, and then you know you could have done ninety percent of the work and then it goes into auction, and you get twenty percent of the fee so <laughs>
1: okay yeah
2: but that was a bit a bit frustrating, and then I went back in uh. You know, I was talking to Willie Dowling, brought me back into CBRE. and then I, I worked as a director in development land there for, for uh, three and a half years. And it was a great experience, but each time you're you're adding, you know, when I worked in allsop you're you're adding experience more in the investment side of things. Uh, and then it was, uh, like at the end of it, it was interesting to see the prop tech side of things uh, and how they were planning, how we were trying to get that going right from the start. So worked with some great people in there. Um, like with Rob Hogan, uh you know, yeah. and set up. You know, you you you, you Rob would offer now. Uh, you, you know, you Richard, you've a few guys, quite a good few guys, who moved on from there. And then, I
1: mean, was, was going to ask you. I mean, you've, you've, with all that advice, all the different firms, you decided to, you know, to to make the jump to, to yeah. starting your own one. And um, you know, tell us what it looked like. You know, the the six months before that, where you kind of planning, setting up your own firm and getting things in place or do well, you have to plan it last?
2: No, month? I kind of, uh, I kind of done it before. So I set up Vincent Finnegan for a commercial, but that was for somebody else. And then I was offered kind of uh, a good deal to keep it there. And then when I set up uh, OSAP uh, private treaty, um, you know, it was, it was myself and Brian Gary kind of set that up and grew that. Okay, with the benefit of, we could go over to the London Head office. So over in the UK, Allsop is just seen as saddles. It's just professional across the board. There, private treaty section. It's just professional, whereas here it, it kind of got, got tired with the wrong brush. So, so hence the rebrand. Because sometimes you, you, you go putting in an expensive asset in Allsop for six and a half million, and people are thinking there's
1: something wrong with it. Yeah, it? yeah, why would it be in Allsop? Yeah, exactly.
2: So it just it just I think at the timing of Allsop's. Uh, when it was set up, it kind of started off the bottom, and, and a lot of receivership sales. Uh, but that changed over time. But it's still in Ireland; it 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 never escaped from that. So hence the perception.
1: Yeah, perception was there. So 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 hence. It shows you how important the uh, the brand. Like, I think brand so, is. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it, like I, I I even like I
2: think I had a row with Stephen at one stage. I say, "Can we just sell this under a different brand?" and uh, was the case that looked if they don't like it, they can lump it. But things change and people learn and things move on.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and just from the point of view of you moved, uh, yeah, and started your own firm. I mean that um, that period when you're, what advice would you give to people that are thinking about doing that kind of? Um, it was hard career. to take the leap.
2: Yeah, it was hard to take the leap because you know you have a level of security there. Uh,
1: salary, all that stuff yeah. a good
2: steady basic, you know, but at the same time it's it's, it's 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 kind of like a rising tide, you know when things are good um you know you can make a lot of money, but the problem is if the, if the development land market drops at bottoms or tanks and there's no sales and you're not involved in property management or evaluations, you know. You could be sitting at your desk and get a get a, you know get a call into the office saying thanks very much, but you're only on a rolling twelve month contract. So get the experience and use it. But for me, it was kind of time that I said, look, I'm I'm, I'm you know partly uh, part, you know part wage, part bone, you know part commission. So you're kind of working, you know, you're really on a structure where you're kind of you're working for the commission you know, you know your, your your basic covers your costs and then the rest is the, is, is the add-on so mm. for me it was a case that I you know with your context that you've established after you know 17 18 years you nearly have that core where people go looking for you to do business and if your name is strong enough like like if, if you hire somebody in any of the big firms you know you're hiring the name, a lot of times it could be passed down to somebody more junior uh, or it could be passed down to a graduate. It, it all depends on who you're hiring. Like I remember, you know, when we were dealing with uh, different agencies, we wanted to make sure that, okay, we're dealing with CBRE, but we want Darren Nugent on, on, on the property or we're dealing with, you know, Salos, we want Michael Healy as our agent. So you want to make sure that you pick the team. To, to go to go with the assets, uh, rather than just picking picking the agency and and then just seeing who they who, who they get to work on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's trying to work with people through it, But yeah, look. G- generally speaking, I think in terms of one of the big firms, it's just a it's kind of the, the level of backup support that you have. Um, certainly research, but I found recently with I suppose the likes of podcasts, the likes of you know the information is out there anyway. Like the the, the bi-monthly reports are out there. Okay, you don't have the inside track. Like what happens, any bi-monthly report, Marie Hunt, who's excellent, would come to each department and she'd have the stats and then she'd say, what's happening on the ground? What's happening next? And then she'd look at what's happening in London, what's happening in... Like I I still look at uh, Spencer Levy. And I look at, he's the head of research kind of New York. Uh, I kind of see what's happening in Australia. I kind of listen to that podcast and I, I try and see what's happening in the London market. So you're always trying to see the trends.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
2: Everybody's kind of looking at what's happening with offices. Uh, I'm looking at what's happening in Australia. So, you know, you're seeing trends where there's flexible work time, you know, you're coming into the office to for culture um, to move up the ladder. But that kind of synergy, that kind of you know meeting outside a zoom call and uh, if it if it means you know you might finish your zoom call and then you're, you're you're shooting the breeze with somebody and something else pops up or you know you know you can just talk to somebody it's it's you know you're not interrupting them uh yeah i think it, it'll come back but it depends on what sector you know like the professional services sector i'd see that probably coming back more so than uh than the tech guys. Like what, what will happen with different tech staff is there's a bit of a war on talent. Yeah. They might want to force them back too soon. They might kind of, you know, the softly softly approach. But other firms in in, in the kind of the service, you know, the, the financial services sector are saying, right, you know, come come September, October, we'll, we'll start getting people back. And that's when you'll see what, where's the new office. Yeah, I think there'll be flexible time uh depending on the position of the person that's there. You know, but the younger graduates they might be saying, Look, we want you in the office four days a week. But you don't know, older it could be three, two. You know, it's a bit like a football formation, you know? So, yeah. you know, you don't know what way it's working, but I, I can see Ireland probably sticking to the, you know, the Monday to Friday. Uh I can't see it kind of, you know, like the states they're kind of working at the weekends. It's a bit more like that. But I think it's the work-life balance. I think some some people, uh, it's, it's, you're nearly having to incentivize it for them to come back. So yeah, I've seen that here in
1: East Point. It's, it's interesting to, yeah, to watch. Yeah. No, East Point is great, uh,
2: like in terms of you, you, you've you got the uh, good public transport, you, you've got your football pitches, you've got your community, uh, your social media. Uh, you know, you, you have that kind of us corporate feel to it uh, and it's, it's a good alternative to city center uh, and you you feel as if you're out, outside the city but you know you hop on a dublin bike you could be you could be in the ifsc in five minutes
1: i want to move on to yeah. development land because you've yeah. put a number of opportunities my way in the last while and i thank you for that by the way no problem um we'll get there in the end, Gavin. <laughs> yeah. In terms of just, I mean, like when you're looking at sites, if say, for example, yeah. you're acquiring a site for a client. Yeah. Um, I just thought it would be useful for you, given your, your experience now in this kind of whole area. What would you look for if you were going out to acquire a site? Like, what are the key things that you uh, should- Well, Zoning and um, services
2: and then development potential on the site. So a lot of times what I, I get involved in is I, I, I get involved with a planning consultant at early days. But um, I'm not a specialist, I kind of know roughly values and I know what can go on it, but I, I always go that bit further to, to, to expert opinion. So I, I'd use Hughes planning development consultants, I use John Spain, I'd use others to, to, to assess what can go on it. And then what you do is you nearly work off a conservative uh, planning and, and, and use that as your base and then the extra uh, is the uplift but I wouldn't I wouldn't count on it I uh, just be very careful to, to, to see what's the minimum planning that you can get and, and the extra potential is the add-on uh, in terms of Irish water uh, connectivity for services uh, development levies uh, you know some of the levies along the Lewis line very high uh, and then it's just a you're always keeping an eye on the cost of construction and you basically run what you call a development appraisal and you have your model as to these are the costs of X, Y, and Z. So you kind of work with your uh, planning consultant first and foremost, and then you work with a good QS uh, like MMP or somebody else, or like there's plenty of them are line site. You know, you you keep tabs on where the cost of construction is because you're basically working out what's the, uh, what's the, like for, what's the potential rent? And so if you're doing PRS, you're working off that, then you're working off your yields, and then it's the cost of that development value, less your construction costs and where you get your profit. So you wanna be making minimum 15 to 20% profit
1: on each each turn. Yeah, for sure. And in terms of things like, for example, public transport. Yeah, key. Those are key, and uh, and proximity yeah. of the likes of you know schools or shops or convenience and convenience. Yeah, no, it's, uh, schools like it, it, it's it's schools, shops. Uh, it Depends if it's
2: house building, uh, they'll be first and foremost. Uh, if it's if it's apartment blocks, it's uh, proximity to um, Lewis. Um, you know, I know you're, you you talk your QBC, your Lewis, and your train and your services, but now it's it's it's, it's bike routes, and uh, now it's. Uh, you know, go-car stations, uh, Dublin bike routes, uh, access time. You know, it, it's, it's more the travel time in and out of uh, properties. I remember using, uh, used, um, uh, it's KPMG now, but it would have been future analytics before. So when we were assessing where the best kind of build to rent locations or where the best co-living locations, we looked at a scientific approach as to areas that, that, that would achieve a certain rent uh, and it wasn't your top end rent. It was, the, these are your rents of kind of slightly lower two 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 and a half thousand euro, but you're on a good public transport link. So it was kind of showing out areas that you didn't think, you know, kind of in towards uh, for Cabra, uh, Glasnevin, you, you know, slightly secondary areas are Dublin 8 kind of, you know, it was, it
1: was the data that was showing yeah, you to
2: look it, rather than your own mindset kind of saying. Well, it was the cost of, cost of acquiring the site. And then it was the, the the transport links. Like, you you just look at the Lewis and the impact that it's having. Or then you look at Metro North now and you look at Swords. OK, you know, the Lewis is there. You're clever in that you bought Beg, which is on the Lewis extension line, which will link in with Bray. Excellent. Uh, goodbye buy. Uh, you know, the other angle is you go Metro North and you go in around Swords, and you're you're, you're getting zoning, which is Major town Centre, and you're just tying in and and you're trying to build off the back of that. Or if you're talking Glass Bottle Site, you'll have a spin off the off there. These things will all happen, and 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 the, the the transport, the infrastructure is there. But it's yeah, it's it's all of those things are key. Um, but even it could be down to, you know, areas that, you know, Harrow's Cross are slightly centric, uh, but it's a flat run into town. You know, if you're on a bike, you've cycle way all along the canal.
1: Fast and centric. Yeah, exactly.
2: Town. So it's, 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 it's your access to public transport. But, like, you see it in areas like Dublin H, you know, you go back five years ago, uh, it's the standard of the coffee shop. You know, it would have been a greasy spoon. Now you've... Uh,
1: you, Decent ones, yeah.
2: Yeah, you've really, you know, it's 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 upgrading, and, and it's the areas are coming right, our
1: Gentrification.
2: Yeah, yeah, gentrification. You look at uh, Grand Canal Harbour. Uh, you look at Guinness Storehouse. Uh, you look at areas along there, um, you look at you know in around by Teeling Whiskey. Like there was areas in Cork Street, I remember developing down there, and uh, just is going back about 15 years ago and um, we were struggling, bar little, we were struggling to rent the retail units you know, around
1: there. Yeah. I yeah. remember, that was a rough yeah. enough area. Um,
2: it was a rough enough area, yeah, like, literally you'd arrive on site and there'd be a party happening in by northern where guys had had, uh, had had gone in and were drinking gas.
1: Having a little party, yeah. Yeah, it's but areas like that, yeah. Uh, Robert, I just wanted to go and ask you about, you know, because you've got your commercial hat on yeah. as well, and I mean, the commercial market, um, specifically the retail kind of sector, because that was an area that I, I did very well in back in the kind of thousands. Yeah. But last, week I was, last week's podcast was with a guy from the UK. I was listening you know, to it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Saving the high street. Like, what about the Irish high street? What is your view on the future of it? And what opportunities would you say are there for people?
2: I think the smaller units are holding up. And then, you know, there's certain sectors that are, that are very, you know, like the, the suburbs are quite attractive now, but they tend to be smaller units. And, uh, you know, you'd be surprised. Uh, it's, it's it's just a bigger box, you know, your 40, t- 20, 30, 40,000 square foot retailers. Uh, like I know he was talking about maybe finding a use for the first floor or, or building a similar to CHQ building. Uh, you know, it's trying to de-risk it, Uh some of the units are, 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 are too large, but generally it's it's trying to, um, it's trying to bring in leisure. Uh, it's trying to bring in the, you know, for different shopping centers, you know, say for instance, the shopping center, like uh, a good example would be BlackRock shopping center, uh, the Frascati, uh, where did they, they go? They upgraded and um, where do they add on? They built a, a block of apartments overhead. So straight away, the shopping center has paid for itself with the development upwards. So, so by extending that upwards or it's, I was um, doing a bit of work in Castle Troy Shopping Center and I kind of went down and, and I, I had a strategic review of it. And this is all pre-COVID and this is you add value. Do you go for an add-on to the site? What do you go for? You want to get your food, your hospitality. Okay, I know food and hospitality is, 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 is suffering. Went out of the tracks now, but you want to have, you know, we put in, you know, a farmer's market on Friday, you create a buzz about it with outside cinema. These things will all come back. If you look at Cherrywood, uh, Cherrywood are looking at Dundrum. What can we do that to, to better Dundrum? You know, where will the market go? Do, do we, You know, you talk about arbitrage where you split up the units into smaller sizes. You give yourself different options there. You know, obviously you're still going to go for your anchor tenants uh, Little and Aldi are just going bigger and bigger. They want larger stores. You know, other retailers that are strong, like your, your, your supermarkets, your decathlons, your discount rate, retailers are all strong. Local convenience are doing well. Uh, Tesco are ramping up. You know, they're they're on the hunt again for space. It's 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 the what I have a concern about is you know, your O'Connell Streets, your Henry Streets, parts of Grafton Street, and um, there will be but but for how long? Uh, you have to reimagine itself. Do you split up units? Uh, you know, do you have a quasi? You know, or do you have a share? Is it a case where one unit is split up? You know, nearly like you going to. You go into your spa you, and you've an insomnia offering it within it
1: concessions kind of or something. Yeah,
2: like. it could be concessions. There could be people linking, in. but yeah, it's the larger retailers that that's the larger retail units. That's where you'd have some concern.
1: I think they have yeah, to say I um I went down I drove down Cable Street on the weekend. Yeah, yeah. I was absolutely amazed by the transformation since they put the. It's great. The Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's I mean, great. I was amazed because I that used to be a really sort of street in terms of the retail. Yeah, I've, uh, yeah, yeah. And suddenly, with all this outdoor dining mm-hmm. stuff, it, it's transformed into something that I was actually—I wouldn't mind actually stopping by. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's a real buzz about it. Uh,
2: I, I I just rented a unit. Okay, I, I rented an NCBI, National uh, Cancer Blind in Ireland. Okay, it's it's a charity, but it's a safe bet. But well, we went for cafe use. But the problem is, is uh there's no fire escape onto the, onto the back of the property. So for fire safety compliance, it doesn't work there. And then you know, there's other apartment blocks around there uh, are very attractive. But if you look at Cable Street, it's the uh, Brother Hubbard. Uh, they went into Rhodes D7 doing a bomb. Uh, Musashi Sushi doing a bomb. There's other different retailers go. But it's a strange street. You can have charity shops. You can have Chinese restaurants, you can have sex shops. It's a strange one, but like the, the outside seating alone is huge.
1: Um, I think that'll transform that. My my view is that over time that that street will will gentrify now.
2: It'll become a Camden Street. Okay, yeah. I don't think it's going to be as leery as Camden Street. You know, but but it, it is. It's uh, I think Panty Bar. Uh, in around there it's doing very 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 well okay they were shut for far too long but just just the placemaking the only thing i'd like to see is you know it's a bit mix and match maybe they could have got together a bit more and said look we'll have the same type of uh you know hoarding in around the seating areas yeah, yeah. i'll
1: have... give it time that'll, yeah, that'll give the time nice.
2: but but yeah it, it all comes right uh apartments in around there but if you look at it you've uh you've got the bullet hotel you've You've Hampton, uh, by high, you know, you know, you know, you've four hotels in around there and your stone's throw from Smithfield. It's, it's all amalgamating. So, so if you look at, you know, Grafton street, one side you have the, the corporates, which is your, let's say your Marco Pierre White's and your Ivy, you know, that's the business market. And then the other side of Grafton street, you've set William street, which it's really buzzy, you know, and that's where the young people want to hang out Uh maybe a bit more disposable income, uh, in terms of O'Connell Street, uh, and, and to the left of that, Cable Street is taken off. Whereas the far side, of, you're kind of getting more the FSC. Yeah. So there's certain pinch points, and if you get your place making right there, um, you know, lessen the cars, put in more, uh, you know, bike racks, get get a bit of a buzz about it. Uh, it doesn't cost that much to to support each other. You know, I think if people work together and um, like different cafes, restaurants, and, and they they try and upgrade it, it all comes right. And what will happen is it will also become a nice place to live. So the rents, the residential rents will come up because it's not your tier one rents. It's not like your IFSC. You know, you, you're a bit more affordable. But I, I'm looking at a, a site there. Uh, well, it's it's not really a site. It's an existing building, uh, 114 116 Cable Street. And I'm talking about how do you de-risk it? We're looking at putting in a, a food offering in the ground floor basement, uh, adding to the roof. So we're talking about going up maybe a floor and a half, and 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 trying to increase the value of the property. And um, So something like that. Uh, but even in the around there, uh, it, it'll become more attractive as these cafes come up. You know, as the buzz is nice and people are sitting out for glass of wine or whatever people want to live there they want to
1: yeah. no you know, it, it does really look it, it is good it, it, yeah. the way i remember it. and yeah, the only problem is trying to get a parking spot now yeah yeah it's yeah, impossible yeah. I, I was going to just ask in terms of i mean you say you're advising a client because mm. one of the issues that i've seen now is that if you're taking you know say a cafe offering or something like that traditionally you went straight to the starbucks or to the insomnias and stuff because you got the you know the big corporate mm-hmm. rental yeah but now i'm seeing that it's the it's the kind of artisan cafe yeah, I mean, independent. they're was- all doing really really well and so yeah, like say, a- which one do yeah. you which one's better because I, like i like the idea of a of a bustling sort of cafe but mm-hmm. the, but the way it's valued because of the covenant versus the likes yeah. of the big corporate you have to kind of Question. That. I it's it's a hard one to work
2: on. Like the certain areas that you're you're nearly better with an independent offering in and uh, because of the snob effect, uh, or, or then if you're Camden Street or Cable Street, you're probably better off with a you know like guys have really come on. Three uh, FE uh, Coffee Angel, they've reset the mold, uh, and now they're they're actually a very good covenant uh, because they've got a good brand name or coffee to go, like. You know, these guys would have come up as independents, but it depends on the the the, the rent level. The larger coffee shops, you know, one thousand square foot in around there, fine for you know your smaller independents. Or six, seven hundred square foot, they're very hard to get. But that that would be perfect for your independent. But the likes of a three thousand square foot, the independents won't will won, won, won't be able for it. You know, your rates are too high. That's where you have to go back into, uh you know the large shopping centres, you'll end up with a Costa or a Starbucks because it's just simply too large. The smaller units, like on Cable Street, you can get a 1,000 square foot. That could be a great coffee because it's sustainable. You, you want to be able to have uh, that your, uh, your, your turnover is 10 times the, the, the rental costs. So if you say it's going to cost me 40000 all in or 50000 all in, you have to have in mind, am I going to make 10 times that rent? And if you're confident enough to do it, like, it starts off, what I do for guys that are looking at a, a tenancy and they're a bit untrusted, you take on a security deposit. Okay, say it's three months rent. That's manageable in the current market if they're going to fit it out. And then what you do is you test the profits test after two years. So if they're making three times uh, their their uh, net profit, you know, then you can see that they're actually viable so then you can you can say look tell you what guys if you prove yourself after two or three years we can give you your deposit back and then you know they're trading three years you're happy with them they've got a good following and they they trade on and they trade well good advice the other side of it is look at areas where the seating has come in like i, I have a client of mine and they they were, they were gifted 56 outside seats on south williams Street recently their turnover is up 80 okay wow Will that stay, or will DCC turn around in two years time and, and, uh, and say if you want to keep the seats, you're going to have to pay x amount per square meter or per seat or you'd hope that it stays, but you know will there be charges coming in? I'd say for the next year, you'd have a free run, but you just don't know what's going to happen down the line, yeah. When, when when we get back to normal, you know, in a year or two's time, will they try and cash in? But TCC are trying to work at most of another letting on Feeney Street of a pub, 26 Feeney Street, 1,800 square foot per floor. It's the third time renting it that the tenant has stayed there. You know, wow. rental, uh, okay, it needs 300,000 fit out because it's Shell and Core stripped back. But the first tenant after four months of lockdown you know, lost patience with it. The second, I think the fit-out costs were probably too high. If you're starting a new business and your fit-out cost is $300,000.
1: you are on the back foot. Right? You're on
2: the back foot. So it took, it, t- it took three times. And that's the worst case scenario because it's hospitality. Yeah, yeah. You're impacted on that. The bars and restaurants, there's probably some good value to be had in bars and restaurants. I just haven't seen it yet. Uh, yeah. People are being furloughed.
1: I've been watching it all right, yeah, and and we've got our struggles here in East Point as well. But a number of the places have closed. We're coming towards the end uh, of the uh, of the talk, um, Robert. I just wanted to ask you one or two little final questions. Um, first of all, with all of the clients that you've worked for and you've worked for, you, you were telling me some of the the bigger names and all of these highly successful people. Can you do? You, have you identified any traits or you know sort of behaviors that that have, in your opinion, kind of contributed to their success over the years. Is there anything that kind of stands out in your mind?
2: Um, it's probably it's probably trying to read the market uh, and 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 take a calculated risk, uh, determination, and just a hunger for the deal. Like uh, you know, guys like Liam Kerr were just passionate about doing a deal, Willie uh, really Dowling, and you know, passionate about getting a letting done. You know, uh, yeah, it's it's just a, just it's just a passion for 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 you know building uh getting the right tenant in getting the right mix and, and 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 moving on it's it's you have to have that grow for it if you don't if you, if you don't have that kind of hands on approach get stuck into it uh you know assess the asset like like there's guys there that wouldn't have been involved in the deal and you know it's only that they rented the property I remember Lee went into co restaurant once and uh, the guys were asking you know you're not really our demographic you know you're 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 older you're with your family and uh, you know how did you hear about us and he said i've been hearing about you long enough i'm your landlord
1: (laughs) unbelievable yeah yeah
2: Yeah, so it's under the radar stuff but it's amazing really
1: tell me this um final question advice for your 20 year old self now looking back in your career
2: uh, don't be afraid to to, to to get outside your your, your comfort zone uh, you know look look to always improve and and, and try and uh, you know get get the experience you know try evaluations try agency you know step outside your comfort zone and and, 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 and uh, kind of find your niche where you like and, and, and invest your time in that uh, and, and and put some money aside whether're along the way so <laughs> The development, uh, try and de-risk it uh, or try and secure it or even, you know, move on, but just structure it in a way that if something, if something wrong happens, that you're not, uh, it's not like a deck of cards, you know, and don't take on a personal guarantee. That's, that's, that's one thing that I'd never do.
1: Yeah, mate. yeah good advice. Uh, mm-hmm. All right, Robert, thanks so much for your time. Just um, if, if anyone would like to reach out and connect with you or... Um contact you what's the best way to do that
2: uh, best way is uh, robertcollaren.com that's c-o-l-l-e-r-a-n robertcollaren.com or I'm on linkedin or, or uh, twitter
1: uh, so, social I'll put, I'll put the links in the show notes yeah I no, appreciate that Gavin yeah all right Robert thanks so much thanks. for your time and uh, thanks, good luck and uh, look forward to uh, catching up with you uh, over a coffee or a beer or something like that yeah brilliant thanks
0: All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Behind the Facade. Thank you so much for listening. As always, my number one ask is for you to leave a review or indeed share out this podcast with anyone you think would benefit from it. In the show notes, you will find links to the various things we discussed today. If you have any questions or topics you would like me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via the Facebook group Behind the Facade Community. Alternatively, you can find me on social media using my handle, Gavin J. Gallagher, and this includes, of course, my YouTube channel. Lastly, you can stay up to date with all the various things I'm working on by adding your name to my email list over at www.gavinjgallaher.com forward slash Go And in particular, you may be interested to learn about my mastermind, which is now live. It's called the Elite Property Accelerator, and I've welcomed in the first couple of members. So if you are interested in that, you will definitely find more information over in the uh, website and sign up to the email list in order to do that. All right, folks, that's all for now. I hope you uh, have a great week and I will see you again next week.